0: to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 104th episode, I'll be talking to Jeff Stormer, podcaster, game designer, pro wrestling color commentator, and yes, eggnog enthusiast, about The Muppet Show. Along the way, we discuss the forbidden energy of just winging it, the majesty that Swan Lake gains when you add a pig mask, and how Kermit the Frog is the stage manager we all aspire to be. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and let you know how you can become a guest on The Math of You. We join this conversation already in progress. Gonna build me a shack, Lord, by the railroad yard All right, Jeff. So for those who may not know you, why don't you say who you are and what makes you a beautiful and unique snowflake?
1: So I am Jeff Stormer. I am a podcaster, game designer, worldwide eggnog enthusiast, and the unofficial official LARP designer of the Olive Garden restaurant. (laughs) And what makes me a beautiful and unique snowflake is that I shamelessly love the things that I love and I encourage people to be kind to themselves, their passions, and each other.
0: So, you specifically wanted the eggnog thing to be in your introduction, and it will be in the episode that comes up. Eggnog enthusiast, explain that, please.
1: I feel like it kind of explains itself, but specifically, I am the host of, I believe, true to form, I have done no research on the topic, but I believe we are the most popular and most established eggnog enthusiast podcast, Talking Nog, a yearly <laughs> tradition honoring a yearly tradition. <laughs> It publishes once a year on or around Christmas. Uh, every oh God, every sorry. single year, <laughs> iTunes drops us, believing that we have vanished off the face of the earth, and we have not. I believe we are the world's most popular eggnog-centric podcast, but I have not done any research into that. I don't have the metrics to back that up.
0: Talking nog, you monster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, so, speaking of podcasts... You have a rather formidable one, so did you want to tell the people what Party of One is?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Party of One is an actual play podcast focused on two-player role-playing experiences. What that means is I play a game with a friend one-on-one every week. We explore a bunch of different games and systems. Every episode is sort of a self-contained story where I sit down with a new guest. We play a new game. We just had episode 200 in late September... It's been around for a little under five years now. I think we're on to year five now. And it is one of my two weekly podcasts, but it is also kind of my baby.
0: So what's the other one? Actually, I'm not familiar.
1: All My Fantasy Children is my other podcast. Oh, yes. I host it with my best friend, Aaron Catano Saez. And what it is, is every week we take a listener submitted prompt and we use some of our favorite role-playing games and sort of character creation tools to turn that listener prompt into an original fantasy character. And as we do this, we flesh out sort of a shared universe that we have called fantasy and you know characters interact and stories intersect and we build out this world kind of one story at a time
0: yeah and talking about party of one i'm continually surprised at the depth of story that you folks tend to come up with just in the space of about an hour and 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like recently, like there was the the spindle wheel microgames that you and Ned Donovan did. That's
1: a good episode.
0: And that was intense.
1: That's a good episode. That's a really
0: good episode. I was stunned. I was like sitting on the train and like thinking, okay, well then the episode's over and looking and there was 35 minutes left to go. And it just escalated from there. And I was like, wow, okay, a lot's happening here.
1: I feel like that's a good example of just like, you know, hitting the ground running and like the game admittedly does a lot and the guest does a lot. And sometimes it's as simple as finding the right game and the right guest. But that's one of the things I really like about it. The work of recording is I get to sit down with a new friend every week and like share 90 minutes telling like a really deep personal story. And like, what better work can there be at the end of the day?
0: Well put. I like that. Thank you. So let's start with the basics then, Jeff. Whereabouts did you grow up?
1: So, I grew up in a few different places. We moved around a little bit, but most of, I'd say, except for about a few years where I kind of shifted between a few different, like, cities, most of my childhood, the vast majority of it was spent in South Jersey, like, rural South New Jersey, which is to say Mount Holly, New Jersey, my home away from my actual home now with Philadelphia.
0: Okay. So, honestly... And again, this could be my ignorance of American geography. I didn't realize there was a rural Jersey. I always presumed Jersey is that sort of odd cousin of New York, the way it's always portrayed in media. So there is another part of New Jersey?
1: Yes. Once you kind of get away from North Jersey, which is kind of your Newark, your New York suburb, your kind of big cities, your Princeton's, your Rutgers, your New Brunswick's, like your big cities, there's a large swath of it that is like very country. And very kind of, we had, you know, you'd go down far enough south, and you find, like, there's sections of it that are very farmland heavy. We had a county farm fair. We had a lot of country roads. I always kind of described it as the suburbs, because, like, there are kind of suburb developments, but when my... Then girlfriend, now wife, started like coming down to visit me from North Jersey. She looked around and she was like, no, Jeff, this is not the suburbs. This is like the sticks. Like this is, <laughs> this is the country. And I'm like, I don't know what you mean. She's like, you have a farm fair. <laughs> I like, okay, no, that's fair. I have seen a lot of cows. That's fair. And maybe that's not a typical suburban experience.
0: Jeff, people are comparing the relative sizes of pumpkins and awarding blue ribbons. This, <laughs> this is true. This is happening
1: that does happen and you know what i have to eventually did have to acknowledge that that is not a typical suburban experience
0: the 4-h club is surprisingly powerful you are therefore not a suburban town
1: that's just eh, it's not wrong (laughs)
0: listeners if you want more 4-h knowledge go back and listen to my episode with mac weaver where she talks about the cow beauty pageants that are state fairs (laughs) it was i
1: love state fairs so much like i the burlington county farm fair was Like a treasure. You waited all year for it, really. It was the culmination of a whole year.
0: (laughs) So how many deep fried things did you eat on a stick?
1: Oh, my God. You know, actually, deep fried things on a stick, like wasn't a big or maybe or maybe it was and I just wasn't aware of it but like wasn't a big part of the farm fair I usually ate a lot of like sausages and you know fr- like grilled meats was a big thing that was a big thing of the farm like the farm fair I did have more than the probably ordinary amount of fried Oreos that someone eats in a lifetime which I don't imagine is very high <laughs>
0: Yeah, I have a specific kind of fascination with fair food because, uh, I mean, I grew up in Canada and then came to Australia. and, And each of those places has their own versions of fair food. And there is a thing in Australia where they will refer to what an American would call a corn dog as a Dagwood dog. And I looked at it and said, that's a pogo. Come on, people, because that's what they call it in Canada. And I flash back to when my dad was working in La Jolla, California, there was a local kind of convenience store that would sell corn dogs, And if he wanted one, he would go in and being the cantankerous old bastard that he was, he would just ask for a pogo. Sure. And eventually they got to the point where they knew what he meant. And he was very proud of this. And he's like, I've trained the people at the store to say it right and it's like no i appreciate that
1: level of spite i appreciate that (laughs) now i have to ask you an important question now that please do topic now that you've raised the topic Uh i would like to describe an object that i'm curious like what you refer
0: to it as i'm not going
1: to say what the object is because i don't want to color your perception of what you honestly say all right hippie you take a long piece of bread Uh cut it in the middle Uh You place meat, cheese, and vegetables inside that long piece of bread. You slice that long piece of bread like an Italian roll. You slice that Italian roll in half, you eat this sandwich. It's usually, you know, deli meats, maybe some, you know, a variety of cheeses, lettuce, Mm -hmm. tomato, onion, salt, pepper, oil, vinegar. What do you call this sandwich?
0: See, I would call that a sub.
1: Okay, see.
0: But that is due to the proliferation of a particular, one might call it a way of a sub. That's fair. That tends to follow. However... I have had a version of that that I was told was a grinder in Albany, New York.
1: All right, that's fair.
0: So if it was, for example, served out of a literal hole in the wall surrounded by booths, I would be like, no, that's a grinder. All right,
1: yeah, because I grew up in specifically hoagie country. Ah. So that is the term that I live and die by. I will recognize the sub, but for me, if I'm asking for it, I have to call it a hoagie.
0: See, I was going to say, even as you said that, Because you put an almost Canadian hoagie inflection on there that is very, like, close to the border in my head.
1: That is the Philadelphian, the Philadelphian (laughs) in me comes out when I say the word.
0: (laughs) Oh, so... I might cut this out because this might be a tangent. I'm trying to remember. Is the Yinz thing, is that a Philadelphia thing? So
1: please don't edit this out because this is a topic I enjoy talking about. Okay, good. Um, I just
0: wanted to be sure because I couldn't remember what city it was. And if it was a complete whiff, I wanted to cut it out.
1: (laughs) Yinz is further west Pennsylvania. Yinz is sort of Pittsburgh, which is a few, like a three or four hour drive. Philadelphia is squarely in John country, which is (laughs) J-A-W-N. As just a term for anything, it's just a. Okay. It's, a re- it's a good replacement verb or noun. It's a good just term for a thing.
0: <laughs> Please use it in a sentence.
1: Oh man, you want me to use that John in a sentence? Okay. Um, let me see if I can. Let me see if I can find like a good. Let me see if I can find a good John where I would use the word. It's like it's this. It's the sort of John where you just you know you're trying to say a thing and you don't want to put a lot of work into it. So you just kind of like you just kind of slip it in that John and then you call it a day. <laughs>
0: so it's any noun or potentially any kind of <laughs> adjective as well it's, it's real john
1: it's just a john it's specifically like a replacement noun like it's a person place or thing that you're just essentially like if i were to academize this it's a term that you recognize that the other person knows it kind of replaces thing for lack of a better way to put it
0: like how the english will use what's name in the middle of it mm-hmm. it's like yep. a, a thingy or whatever a, a, yeah something to fill the yep. gap yep exactly <laughs> That's John. It's a good John. Where I was thinking you were specifically taking jawing as in talking and scrunching it down into John. As in, oh, we're just John.
1: It is a -A J-A-W-N. If you want to hear it pronounced very badly, you can watch the movie Creed. Oh, no. Tessa Thompson. I love her to death. She's a tremendous actress. She plays a very local Philadelphian, and it is great because I watched that movie. That is, I mean, Creed, side note, random tangent side note, is a beautiful Philadelphia movie. Like, it is filmed on location. Like, all of the sites are the actual places that I live, and it is beautiful. I watched it in, like, a long-standing, like, Philadelphia tradition, the Trocadero Theater, which is sadly now closed. But, like, they held movie nights, and they held a viewing of Creed. And so it was a packed room full of people at this, like, Philadelphia institution of a theater watching Creed and when she says it she's like yeah you know you're John and she like puts this <laughs> emphasis on it I I swear to you the room fell silent except for one person who just went Ooh.
0: <laughs> oh I know exactly that feeling and it is a combination where I get it on both sides because I will see a Canadian portrayed in a movie and I will wince but primarily, I will see Australians portrayed in movies or TV and it will physically hurt me.
1: Oh, it's, and it just, it's, it's, yeah.
0: The Good Place Season 3. Really liked it. That lady, the professor who was doing the tests on Chidi and stuff, she is an American doing an halfway okay Australian accent that would probably fly in most places except here because I was listening to it. And my girlfriend, who is Australian, was like, what is she doing? Yeah. And it's just like, I, I don't know. That's and, and like, yeah, they set the first like part of the season in Sydney and made like a few token things of like when they would go to a supermarket. I'm like, oh, there's a canned chili. That's a very much a famous thing. It's like, oh, that's steak chili. That's this Australian or that's Australian. But that thing they just said and that thing that just happened would never happen here.
1: I have a great example of this. I have a very great example of this. And it comes from a source that they themselves acknowledge should have known better. There is an episode of it's always sunny in Philadelphia, which is why I say they should have known better (laughs) because the creators are from Philadelphia. They film on location a lot. They are very true to Philly, except for there was one time when they weren't. They pointed this out on, like, we listened to the commentary because my wife and I are big fans. And they pointed out on commentary where they have them go to a supermarket. And at one point, one of the characters, like, knocks over a bottle of wine or, like, get, I forget, It, it, it involves a bottle of wine. And they pointed it out on commentary. And my wife and I both pointed it out to each other when we watched it. They both go, you can't buy wine in a grocery store in pennsylvania like that's like the liquor control board doesn't allow like or at least yeah. at the time when it was filmed like that was not allowed that was legally you you couldn't sell alcohol in a grocery store so they did this and then on commentary they're like so many people have pointed out that you would have to go to a state store for that like it yep. doesn't work it's this one tiny little moment where they just get it wrong and i'm like you're from philly you should have caught that
0: <laughs> it's like it's funny that we were mentioning Chris Sims before in the pre show. He was going on about Logan Lucky, and specifically that when they're talking about how you got someplace, and like it's a, apparently a very local thing to talk about what highways you use to get from place to place, and referring to it as oh, you take the 10 and then you turn up and get the 25. And then you go down I-98 and blah. It's like adding a the before the number of the highway is apparently a California thing. And huh. in the Carolinas, you would just say, oh, I took 25 and I turned left onto the onto 40. See, I almost said the because it's a Canadian thing too. It was one of those things where it was like in the first 10 minutes of the movie. And yeah, like you said, everyone kind of went, huh, wait a minute.
1: Yeah. You went, nope, that's not right. I caught that. and it Broke and the immersion. Anywhere else in the world, I don't think that line would have been caught. But in Philadelphia, we went, nope. We we appreciate you tried and you're still a, you're still a national treasure but yeah. you did you didn't get that you, you 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 threw for the net and you missed
0: it. Oh, I'm still a sucker for I forget which one. I think it might have been Rocky Balboa, but the whichever one of the various Rocky sequels had the montage at the end of everyone running the steps and doing the dance because recently some local wrestlers from PWA, they went to the states because they had friends that were in PWG. That were debuting in PWG and it was a big deal. Okay, and then also they also did King of Trios and a few other things, and so they turned it into this big like US road trip. And Matt wait, Diamond, which, who's a
1: which trio was this? Was was went? What year was? The, wait, I missed what year this, this was year. and what trio this, is okay. this year? So was this the Nations or was this team?
0: It was the Velocities.
1: The Velocities, got it? Yeah. Yes. Who did? I was at night two of Trios. They did. They they were great.
0: They are. And that's uh, Matt Diamond and Jude London and Paris DeSilva, who I regularly see locally and I'm just astonished at their skill. They're great.
1: They're so good. They're outstanding.
0: Yeah. And I got to see Matt Diamond do the the sprint at full speed up the steps and do the little dance and everything. And then like wax emotional afterwards about how much the Rocky movies meant to him when he was a kid. And it was just like...
1: That's so sweet. Oh.
0: Bless your heart, you know? Oh, but yes, they're... I was very happy that all of my my local teams turned up at Trios and did so well. I was so
1: happy. Oh. I mean, I, I love, I, I mean, trios is, you know, it's a tradition in our household. We get tickets the day they go on sale, figure out our plans, and then we make the best of the whole experience.
0: Excellent. I was going to say, so you would have, did you go last year or?
1: Uh, last year was the only year that it's been in Pennsylvania since we started watching, which would have been two 2000- thousand. We both got into Chikara in 2013 when there wasn't a trios because it was shut down. So the only one it was in Pennsylvania was 2018. That was the only time we missed it when it was in Pennsylvania and not international.
0: Got it. I was going to say, because that was the year that well, it was the, the year the Nations first turned up. And also yep. Shazen McKenzie and Jessica Troy. And Madison Eagles were in there as well. Yeah. And then you got to see Madison Eagles versus Quack.
1: Which is, a, I mean, we, we've gone back and watched that match because it's, I mean, how can you not?
0: It is a thing of beauty. And then Quack then came for a show here. And I got to meet him and he was the nicest, living up to his reputation as the nicest guy. And it was him and the Velocities versus, who was it? Was it Jessica Troy and, and, and the Nations? I think it was. I'm, I'm blanking for the moment. But I got to see him and Jessica Troy go all out technical wrestling for a good like eight minutes without a rest
1: that's real good
0: it was a thing of beauty like honestly and then recently i guess we're just i'm just talking about local wrestling now we've fallen I mean, off the, I the mean, tangent
1: yeah that's gonna you know here's the thing when you asked me for like a topic you had asked me for like a formative piece of media so like i wrote out independent wrestling and then deleted it for the topic that we actually landed on because i was like technically i got into it as an adult but like i could talk about indie wrestling for
0: it's hours. very good But yeah, I can tell you that, you know, for example, the week before last, Orange Cassidy came to PWA and faced off with first Jessica Troy, then Maddie Wahlberg. So two of the best that we've got. And it was astonishing. It was what bought me the ticket. I was like, oh, maybe I'll skip this one. Oh, Orange Cassidy is coming. Hi, I've already bought the ticket. I don't even remember getting my wallet out.
1: I I love Orange. I, I love Orange so much. If you'd asked me at the start of the year who the hottest names in indie wrestling would be come like October... I might not have said Orange Cassidy and Nick Gage, but we're here. Here we are. And I'm loving every single minute of it.
0: Listeners, we will get off the wrestling topic in a moment, but I will maybe, just take maybe. a sidebar. <laughs> I'll take a sidebar to explain who Orange Cassidy is. Uh, Orange Cassidy's a really good wrestler, but Orange Cassidy couldn't be bothered wrestling.
1: Now, see, here's an important... no. Well,
0: it's... it's a- motivation, a- right? I or is can- it hungover or tired a, or something
1: i think it has shifted over the years because when i start when i started following orange cassidy it was intoxication and that orange juice was like reeked Full of vodka. Of <laughs> <laughs> but i think since then it has become apathy
0: apathy or you know he's tired he used to have the swamp monster carry him to the ring so yeah orange cassidy is a guy who comes to wrestle and he never takes his hands out of his pockets if he can avoid it And he never takes his sunglasses off if he can avoid it. And it's great because then he wrestles a match while wearing sunglasses with his hands in his pockets. But he's doing the same kind of moves that a wrestler would do. Yep, It should be medium-breaking, but instead it's genius. And then what ends up happening, of course, is that someone will take his hands out of his pockets or make him take his hands out of his pockets. And the crowd will react like you have just stomped a national flag. Mm -hmm. Because, oh God, now you've done it. And then Orange Cassidy becomes one of the best wrestlers in the world yeah for the rest of that match
1: it's so good it's so very good
0: yes he is our lovable dirtbag we love him so
1: I could follow him follow i follow him to the ends of the earth
0: <laughs> anyway so coming away from the wrestling ditch All that right. we put the show into <laughs>
1: reluctantly i will walk reluctantly. away from wrestling
0: so in the sticks of jersey what sort of kid were you
1: I was a very nerdy, awkward, like oddball of a child. I think is the right way I would how to describe myself. I was an avid comic book aficionado. I was avidly imaginative. I would say very awkward, nerdy child is how I would describe myself.
0: Okay. And so, were you getting comics off the spinner rack at the store, or was this was there someone who introduced you to it?
1: My parents just got me comic books randomly. I like. I guess I probably got into. Comic books through cartoons because, like, I grew up when the X Men cartoon was on, when The Tick was on. I don't know the exact year, but I think I was like four or five when Batman the Animated Series started. So like I had gotten into comic books and then my parents would just kind of give them to me when I complained and asked for comic books. And they would just (laughs) get me whatever like dollar store, dollar bin, newsstand comic books they could find or get whatever was cheap from the 7-Eleven and just kind of give me one of those. And that'd be fine for weeks because I would read it and reread it and imagine. And it was great.
0: Yeah, there is something special about that kind of scattershot introduction to comics. Like, I can recall having not seen the X-Men cartoon, a friend at school explaining to me what it was, what everyone's powers were, and that they were the great superhero team. And when he explained, I instantly said, oh, well, if we're pretending, I want to be Storm. And he went, you can't be Storm, Storm's a girl. And I went, that's stupid. I want to be Storm if I want to be Storm. Yeah. And then later that same year, actually, a friend gave me a coverless comic book which is you know as the way of things that are traded at bus stops yep i was given this book and i did not know it was a what if book it was what if wolverine fought conan okay so it was all set in the hyborian age of conan but wolverine was there i didn't know who the hell wolverine was what was this guy's hair why does he have knives sticking out of his hands questions i did not ask
1: because you don't need to
0: (laughs) and what was funny is that that kid who loaned me the comic then lied to me and told me Oh, yeah, the story continues this way. A Red Sonja and Wolverine get married, and she gets claws too, and they have adventures. I am an adult now, and I could say, no, they don't. And no, they didn't.
1: <laughs> but that would kind of, I, I would read that, is the thing. I
0: would totally read that. would kick ass. I'm surprised that in Secret Wars, no one did a Red Sonja and Wolverine miniseries, because there were a million miniseries. You yeah, could have done it.
1: They could have. They could have made that work.
0: So, initially, the topic you wanted to discuss when you were talking about coming on was not independent wrestling you wanted to talk about the muppets so yeah. at what point did you allow the muppets into your life did you welcome the muppets into your heart
1: actually i was thinking about this when i realized that i wanted the topic to be the muppets i've realized it's probably the first like pop culture property that i ever in my life like fell in love with i think i'm going to confidently say before superhero cartoons cuz i was Probably no older than three or four. Again, I don't have the exact dates, but I know... I have a memory, and I don't know how accurate it is, but I have a memory of Nick Jr. being a new thing when I was a child. When I was like three or four of going like, oh, there's Nick, but now there's a Nick Jr. for kids my age. Okay. And as that is happening, I remember being like four years old. It was before kindergarten, so I was no older than four watching back to back the shows that i had fallen in love with which were the muppet babies but more importantly like muppet babies was good and i liked it a lot but more importantly to me was the muppet show which would come on after like the muppet show i remember watching and being just like enthralled by like delighted by a high that i have been chasing ever since
0: (laughs) Now looking back, one would imagine it's like, oh, well, you know, why would you put cartoon Muppets next to actual Muppets? But no one makes perfect sense. You would see that stories about them when they were little and then you'd go see them working in their jobs and being frustrated and telling terrible music hall jokes as adults.
1: Yes. Which is one of the things I was thinking about as I was thinking about like falling in love with the Muppets show very specifically as a child was like I went back and watched it as an adult and it's like a very... I say this with pure love. It's a very strange show. Like
0: it's very weird. Yes,
1: it's a very weird show, specifically to air in like 1993 on Nick Jr., because like so many of the guest hosts are like 70s Broadway icon. Yeah, in a way that they that they were like, you're three years old. You'll probably appreciate a number from cabaret.
0: Yeah, you're a fan of Ben Vereen. Yeah, of course you are.
1: Uh, kids love Ben Vereen. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, and you're right. It was extremely strange. And I've found that even going back to some relatively early Sesame Street. Just being like, you guys are throwing everything at the wall and just seeing what sticks.
1: It's sort of beautiful. Like, that's what's beautiful to me watching it as an adult. Is watching it and going like, wow, you really are just like, just trying every single, like... They're doing some weird experimental bits. And seeing the ones that fall flat and just are never mentioned again... It's so interesting and going like, oh yeah, we're never gonna see Wayne and Wanda again. You're never showing up on camera again,
0: except for then they did. Yes, <laughs> they do. Wayne and Wanda is great. And again, as a kid, I used to hate them because I would just be like, ugh, who are? they? It's so boring. I don't care. And now as an adult, I'm like, no. Like I'm sitting there with like my hand in front of my mouth, like like Lenny waiting to hear whether he's won the award. Yep. And it's just like, no, this is genius. It's Shh, so good. Everyone. It's so Wayne good. and Wanda is on.
1: It's so. <laughs> you know what I, I had the opposite experience of like remembering always laughing at and then as an adult i'm like all right i see what you're doing but like i do kind of wish you would aim for something else is the first season of ballroom dance scenes oh yes like i remember as a kid every joke that they make was hitting me car was gut busting and then watching it as an adult i'm like all right cool we're at, a, we're at a ballroom dance all right cool so i'm gonna go get another beer for i'm gonna run out in front of the fridge grab a beer i've got like two minutes
0: hmm and it's like yep yeah, okay there's gonna be the Kipling pun I don't know I've yep. never kippled and you know how do you get to Carnegie Hall practice practice man practice and we're out
1: <laughs> all right we're done yeah those <laughs> ones it's been interesting I've watching it as an adult was a delight and it really like God I don't yeah when I was it when I was that age like something about the Muppet show specifically like just captivated me
0: because there is really a a special sort of tone about it because it's one thing to be like okay here's a show that has some puppets and some humans in it Mm -hmm. right like you'd see that on kids television all the time here is a situation though where this is clearly a world of muppets and occasionally a human will be a guest there yep and i think that's a different energy than oh by the way this is a world where everybody coexists. like no this is a muppet world and you're coming here as a guest
1: Yes, I agree. Like, that's a very good way to put it. There's also this energy of like the fact that the show is entirely backstage. Like, there's just something about that that is like, even as an adult, like where backstage shows are very common, the fact that it's puppets coupled with the fact that it's backstage gives it this energy of like, we're not supposed to be showing you this
0: oh yeah yeah
1: that like as a child i must like there's an element of like oh man i can't believe that like they're not going to put on this show look at all the stuff that's happening backstage this is <laughs> wild
0: yeah it's that frenetic energy of any performance that's done is just barely getting made yeah like you know if it was a car like you'd still be putting the rivets on as the door opened it's just barely making it over the line and right onto the next thing you're right, it's that frenetic sort of just barely making it energy that is the backstage world.
1: Yeah, and it just it just got me in the heart.
0: And also, apparently, actual theater, so.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, and then theater, podcasting, like everything I've ever done, has it spoke to the artist in me in a very young age that I'm like, okay, so we're all just winging it, cool. <laughs> that realization coming at a childhood age has informed mm-hmm. a lot of my artistic growth as a person. <laughs>
0: There's something as well with the sort of the guest choosing where it's, it would be dependent on the guest, where Mm -hmm. sometimes the skits and numbers that they would get would be referencing who they were or other work that they did. Other times, it just would not matter. So it would be this weird disconnect of, it kind of doesn't matter who you are outside. Yeah. You're on the Muppet Show now. You are now a guest player in this, you know, barely holding it together music hall troupe. You've got a show to do. Put your ego to the side. Yeah. With the exception, I remember specifically, of Sylvester Stallone. Because he turned up, and they had put a punching bag in his dressing room. And all the Lady Muppets were waiting outside the door when he opened the door.
1: It was very good.
0: And he's like, oh, there's a... His, do, do people know there's a punching bag in my dressing room? And, and yeah, yeah, oh, I must have just come with the room. Huh, so, uh, do you want to hit it? <laughs> and he goes, uh okay I, I suppose and he kind of gives it a jab and like a visible tremor goes through every Lady Muppet they're watching <laughs> like boom ah! <laughs>
1: I fucking I love the Muppets so much
0: and in the metatextual way they used the footage from that in the third Rocky movie when Rocky was getting a big head and doing all these celebrity endorsements they're like it's the Muppet Show with Rocky Balboa and they showed him punching the punching bag in the dressing room and I'm like wait I know where that's from.
1: (laughs) That's rare. That's really clever. Like that's real good is the thing.
0: Yes. It's very good
1: Uh, to your point about like, sometimes it didn't matter who you were. There's something, and this was a topic I was talking about with my wife. When we were watching, there is a very much a, this is a show that could never be made today. Energy, not in, you know, that is very specifically in the sense that like, I think it's the Ben Vereen episode. He sings a song from another, like, super popular Broadway show. My wife, who is a huge musical theater fan, watched that episode and went, yeah, you couldn't do that today. Like, you couldn't have... It would be like having, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda walk on stage on the Muppets and sing, you know, the Dear Evan Hansen-Hamilton mashup. It'd be like if he just did that on the Muppet show without working with the people from Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah. It'd be like if that happened and they have just like, all right, cool. You're going to sing You Will Be Found Now. Go out there and sing that. And they just did it? Like (laughs) that sort of like energy, I feel like isn't a thing that exists anymore. Also big giant TV shows aren't as willing to bank on yeah okay people love Broadway we're going to we're going to send you out there all right get them go get them
0: yeah we're going to bring on Florence Henderson we are going to make no Brady Bunch jokes we are only going to talk about her musical theater stuff
1: it's so good. It's so good is the thing.
0: We are going to bring on Charles Aznavour, drunk off his ass, and have him sing to an inchworm.
1: Kids love Joel Grey, right? Everyone loves Joel Grey. <laughs> why, 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 y'all uh, y'all hyped for Joel them? Grey.
0: Oh my God. I, I remember now watching Buffy when he turns up in season five, Joel Grey, and not recognizing him, and like watching which of my friends lost their mind <laughs> when Don goes to visit Joel Grey in his workshop. And they're like, it's Joel Grey! I'm like, oh, okay. But then, yeah, Joel Grey was there singing No Business Like Show Business on a Muppet show. See, they could have been there earlier.
1: The guests, like, that's part of what I mean by, like, it was weird was that, like, there's so many guests that Nick Jr. specifically could not have thought kids had any idea, and they were purely banking on kids love Muppets. And to be fair, they hooked at least me. At least me was like, oh, man, I love Muppets and have spent the rest of my life going, oh, I love this performer. Wait, they hosted on The Muppet Show?
0: <laughs> you know, just being like, oh, what's that? Kay Ballard? Oh, yeah, I'm sure she'll bring in the kids. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even take, like, because I realized this when, you know, DVD releases were kind of becoming a big thing in the mid-aughts of they released season one of everything, right? The Dukes of Hazard got a box set DVD release of season one and never again. I got the first Muppet Show DVD. Oh, my goodness. Season one. And it had this really great caption trivia track yeah. that was just like, whatever's going on in the scene, here's extra knowledge about that scene. And I love that. I watch that That's so often. That's so
1: good. I want that.
0: But even where it's like, oh, how are we going to close up our first season? How are we going to take a victory lap about this thing that we completed that no one said we could? Let's put moment chance on for an episode.
1: <laughs> they did do that. They did do that. It's
0: so weird.
1: It's so weird.
0: And they treat moment shots like rock stars. Oh, yeah. Like they are given more fanfare than Alice Cooper got when Alice Cooper turned up yep. on The Muppet Show. Because for the performers, they're like, holy shit, this is moment shots. You people don't know. We are going to give them entire skits where they just do their thing yeah specifically the one with the the sort of clay faces where they're changing the faces and moving things around to change expressions and tell a story and i was riveted by that as an adult as someone who's done some theater i was just like wow this is so great i have no idea what a kid watching that would have thought
1: yeah and like that's part of what makes it really interesting is like they absolutely will just like let a performer do what they do and like They brought on the, 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 like, world-famous, like, ballet star. And they were just like, okay, just go do, like, Swan Lake. Go do that. We're just going to stage it. We're not going to make any jokes. You're going to be doing it with a pig. But, like, (laughs) there's just, like, a four-minute performance of swan lake
0: i do love that as a like a little <laughs> captioned sentence which is just like there's no jokes but you are doing it with a pig
1: you are doing it with a pig but it's gonna be a straightforward dance that's the only joke is that you'll be wearing a pig mask it's it
0: <laughs> speaking of which the stuff that really like i liked as a kid but i loved as an adult is stuff like veterinary hospital and pigs in space oh yeah oh my god oh
1: they're so good they're so clever and funny and like the bits just land and you can hear the performers having so much fun with it like they are heaven sent is how i like they're brilliant they're mm-hmm. ap- they're genius
0: it's one of those things where yeah in the end it's, it's funny they're making jokes but even stuff like whenever the narrator comes on and they all look around because they're baffled <laughs> huh? Huh? it's like what what, what? what? huh and I remember my dad sitting back on the couch as I was sitting on the floor watching it and just rolling with laughter, and I didn't get it. I'm like, what? It's so good. It's recurring, and it's, but uh, It's like now being older and having watched, like, Marx Brothers movies and knowing that cadence, now looking at The Muppet Show and going, okay, this is that, but faster. Yeah. And tighter, and everything is just really well-written and good. compare that to the chaos that is... For example, a Swedish Chef sketch. Yep. Which is like we have three beats of a joke. Everything else is chaos.
1: And they do so well at like there's an old saying that I learned from Dwayne McDuffie, may he rest in peace. Love that guy. If you're gonna ring the bell, ring that bell. And like they're so good at ringing the bell and going, okay, cool. Swedish Chef has two jokes. We're gonna hit those jokes so hard that you know what they are. You've seen them a million times. We're going to commit to them so hard. That you're going to die laughing like we are like there's going to be one bit here and you know it's coming but we are going to do it so confidently that it is going to feel like you've never seen it before
0: talking about the performers having fun and i'm gonna botch it because i can't remember who the second performer was i think it was jim henson doing one and someone else doing the other it might have been jerry nelson i can't remember it's been a long time since that trivia track but whenever they would do the Swedish chef one performer would do the mouth and one would do the hands and they would do their best to try and get the other person to laugh mm-hmm. or screw up or something. The game of that in the scene is just magical to watch. Like, even if you don't know, it's just chaos. He's just, oh, he's doing some wacky business with his hands. But then you can see the face reacting to what the hands are doing and having to then roll with it. it it's a thing of beauty.
1: Which reminds me of just, like, as an adult, like, coming to the Muppets and realizing, like, what a technical marvel it is. Oh, yeah. Learning the logistics of how the different Muppets worked and learning that Jim Henson can not only perfectly play the piano, but he can play the piano while reaching around someone else who is doing Rolf's mouth. (laughs) He is only the arms. He is down low, And, like, behind someone beautifully playing the piano.
0: Oh, my God. It's one of those situations where it's, like, there's a really old Penn and Teller bit they did on Just for Laughs where they would show, like, Teller, like, lighting a cigarette and stubbing it out, explain a bunch of things about how, like, close-up magic works, and then explain how that thing you just saw was completely false. Mm -hmm. It's, like, you'd think it would become less impressive when you know how it's done. But then you see the ridiculous lengths that have to be gone to to make the simple thing happen. And it somehow becomes more impressive.
1: Yep. I remember, I mean, if you ever want to just be awed, go watch the behind the scenes of the Muppet movie. Where they just work out how to make Kermit ride a bike and how to make Kermit sing on a log in an actual river. Breathtaking.
0: Yeah. And it's like the bike thing looks like it shouldn't work. Yeah. It looks like he's about to fall at any moment, but he doesn't, because these are very good people who know exactly what they're doing. Yep. I've also heard that apparently making Gonzo float away on balloons was also incredibly difficult, but was nowhere near as showy. That that's true. Which is the worst kind of thing, because that's the stuff you work really hard on and nobody notices.
1: There's the story about Star Wars episode one. Or maybe it's episode two, one of the prequels, they digitally erase every bug from Naboo. And it's like, okay, I'm, it's impressive <laughs> that you did that.
0: It's, it's also something, and this, this is kind of a triple reference, so I apologize. It was John Darnielle talking about Buck Owens' band. And Buck Owens is a, a country singer mm-hmm. from the 50s and 60s. And he talks about how he's like he'll listen to these old recordings of these, like, 12-man country bands who are like touring road bands who are so comfortable with their material or are recording in studio. And these are studio musicians who this is all they do is they just are note perfect all the time. And he's like, they are such badasses that they do not give a shit what you think of them or if you know that they're good at their job. Yeah. Because they are doing their job perfectly if you don't notice a thing.
1: That's the sign of a great it's the sign of a great referee is that you don't notice that they're there until they need to be there
0: until they they get bumped until they get bumped and
1: flop <laughs> and then you then you measure their quality entirely by how well they flop because it needs to be good.
0: Yeah. One of the, the, I believe there's now three. There used to be two, but there were three referees at my local show. And whenever they would turn up, there would be a call of either little ref or dad ref. And then there's new ref. I think dad ref has retired. Mm -hmm. But dad ref was a, like he was built of circles, like Mickey Mouse. Okay. In that he was an older guy with like, you know, when guys start to lose their hair and they shave their hair real short. Yep. Like that. And when some big move would happen, he would jump up with both feet and put his hands on his head. Like he was Mario and he'd just been hit by a Goomba. And some genius got a picture of that where he was floating perfectly in the air and did one of those Photoshop runs where it was him jumping out of lots of things. Good. Like a a crashing biplane. The Hindenburg.
1: Very good. Wonderful.
0: Yes. This is a perfect moment. But speaking of the referee, and this is, I'm, I'm very proud of myself for this segue. As an adult who has I presume worked a series of actual jobs now compared yes. to a kid how much more respect do you have for Kermit the Frog for I, keeping all of those plates spinning
1: I mean what creative among us is not like watching Kermit the Frog at least a little bit with stars in their eyes like Kermit the Frog is I mean I I'm not going to I'm not going to cry I'm going to cry a little bit when I talk about, like, Kermit the Frog is this perfect, beautiful thing. Like, he's this perfect, beautiful character and just is, like, an embodiment of, like, everything great about, like, creating. And, I mean, yeah. Like, watching it as an adult is the story of watching a guy try to corral his obnoxious co-workers to to, (laughs) to put on the show that he has to... And it's also great because the Kermit that I love is really specifically... Even more so than Muppet movie Kermit, who is still like a little bit more genuine and a little bit more pure hearted. My Kermit is always a little bit Muppet show Kermit for whom this is a job who will like (laughs) get you back. Like there's there's this wonderful scene where Fozzie has just like bombed, right? Like they did the Fozzie scene walks backstage and goes, I don't know, I think I did pretty well. I think I deserve a raise. And Kermit goes, How much you make now? Zero? Alright, we'll double it. And you know what? No, triple it. And then he just like goes back to writing? And then that's the end of the joke. And I'm just like, yeah, it was a dick move, Kermit. Respect that.
0: But also it's again, Kermit is also the dad or mum friend. Yeah. Where he is like, Okay, you're all horrible. But I love you.
1: You're my family.
0: But if I don't do this, none of us will get paid. Yes. I need to make sure we all eat and that we have a job tomorrow. So I will do whatever it takes to get this flaming wreck of a car across the finish line. I think there was actually an episode where someone turned up for a scene actively on fire.
1: I believe so, yes. I believe this is a thing that happens.
0: And Kermit, like, turned... And it was not the most interesting thing he had seen that day. Huh. Okay. <laughs> and he was just like, good, you're here. Go. It's great. It's... But I am i don't care.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it so much.
0: Yeah, there is something very special. Because you're right. Especially Muppet Movie Kermit has a little bit of that starry-eyed naivete. Because Muppet Movie is an origin story, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whereas now you are seeing Kermit in The Muppet Show where he's been doing this for years. You know,
1: it's his living now.
0: This is the Kermit who, were he a person, would light up a cigarette at the end of the night and take a sip of whatever in his glass. And he went another day in the can back at it tomorrow. And, you know, he's just kind of like he is in the mix. That is his life now is this chaos.
1: Yeah. And it's I mean, Kermit is my Muppet. Like all of them are great, but uh, I'm basic as it may be to say, like Kermit is my Muppet now and forever.
0: And there was that lovely scene. In the newer Muppet movie, the Jason Segel one, the one with Walter. Yep. Where he is walking through the hall of paintings and just remembering the glory days. And oh my God, that got me in the theater. It's beautiful. You know, you used to be my friends. Now you're just pictures in my head. And it's just like,
1: oh. oh that song. That song. That's that's a tear that's factory.
0: Just guts you. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. I will stand that Muppet movie. I never saw oh. the sequel. I never saw the, the series. That movie is great.
1: Oh, no. The 2011 Muppets is beautiful. It's it's beautiful. It is the perfect modern remake of The Muppets. Muppets Most Wanted is fine. It's fine. It does have one of the funniest jokes that I've ever seen in The Muppets. I will give it that. All right. Hit me. So it is a running joke that I watched for half of the movie and did not get until, like, two-thirds of the way through the film that I did not realize that there was a joke that was happening. And it is a beautiful Muppet movie tradition carried through to the most absurd end in a way that is, for a movie that was fine, it's perfect. And that is, (laughs) it is full of character. Like, it is, like any movie, full of characters who show up, make a single line, and leave, right? A UPS guy hands him a package, says, here's your package, and walks off. Every single one of those roles in Muppets Most Wanted is an unnecessary celebrity cameo that is never addressed in any way like that ups delivery man is james mcavoy wearing a bad mustache walks up says and doesn't like stop and look at the camera doesn't like you know it doesn't zoom in they don't acknowledge it he is an extra but he walks up says here's your package and walks off and if you don't catch it if you don't catch that that's james mcavoy the movie will never tell you they, I think they put it in the credits. I think they credit him as UPS delivery man. But, like, it's, the, the good, it's like the good joke in that movie is that, like, they constantly are like, yeah, there's James McAvoy. That's a UPS delivery man. And, like, there's that. And the fact that the opening to that movie is brilliant because it opens 30 seconds after the Muppets ended. They cut. Everyone starts walking away. And then Kermit looks at the camera and goes why are the cameras still rolling <laughs> oh no oh no and like they slowly everyone's looks around and realizes they're still being filmed and they go oh god they ordered a sequel oh <laughs> no and it starts with a song called we're doing a sequel and includes the line and everybody knows that the sequel's never quite as good and they build it's very funny because they build to what was the original title of the movie but they didn't change it when they changed the title of the movie which is the move song ends with what was the original title of the movie and the original title of the movie is brilliant because they ends with it's the Muppets again it's the Muppets again and it's like that's a really funny name for a movie is the thing (laughs) like for a sequel to the Muppets like that's so good
0: hi everyone we're back (laughs)
1: <laughs> Just the second he's like, the cameras are still on. Oh no!
0: <laughs> oh And I, I've said it recently on the show, but I'll say it again because it's still my favorite tiny throwaway joke from the 2011 Muppets movie, which is when you meet Gonzo at his plumbing factory before even he gets to the you know detonate career as plumbing executive button, which blows <laughs> up the entire building. It's very good. Which is gene. It's a big red button because of course it would be. It's that he's walking up and he's doing the Aaron Sorkin walk and talk with all of his flunkies. And He gets to the end and he's like, take a memo to the guys at the waterless plumbing department. I don't care about the mess. Just keep trying.
1: (laughs) Can I tell you my favorite like throwaway Muppets joke? Go on. It's from the original Muppet movie. And it's actually a, a throwaway joke that it's only funny when you realize it's a callback. But it's such a clever callback that it's like next level brilliant. It's at the very start of, I hope that something better comes along. He jams on the keys and he says, I'm no Heifetz, but I get by. (laughs) Now, do you get that
0: joke? I'm not sure I do. Okay. Who's Heifetz?
1: It's a callback to the George Burns episode of The Muppet Show where he's playing piano with Rolf. Rolf jams on the keys and he says, I've been jamming these keys so long. I'm like a regular Yasha Heifetz. George Burns puffs his cigar and says, Rolf, Yasha Heifetz played the violin. And Rolf goes, nobody knows, George. Nobody knows. <laughs> and so they just put in the line, I'm no Heifetz, but I get by to just, oh my to God. just call out like, oh, yeah, you don't uh, know. And if you hear that line, you just assume that Heifetz was a great piano player.
0: Oh, my God. That's, that's surgical. It's so good. Oh, my God. All right. Well, I think that's a great note to wrap it up. So I think it is. Jeff, if people wanted to find your stuff on the Internet, where would they go?
1: You can find everything I do, podcasts, games, all that kind of stuff at JeffStormer.com. You can find Party of One at PartyofOnePodcast.com. You can find All My Fantasy Children at AllMyFantasyChildren.com. You can find Talking Nog at bit.ly slash TalkingNogCast because I refuse to pay for a URL for Talking Nog. Uh, and I might run out of SoundCloud storage soon. And then you can find me on Twitter at Party of One Pod.
0: Excellent. Well, I've just had a toddler and a dog run into the room, so you should probably wrap
1: up. That, that sounds like a good note to wrap on.
0: Alright. Thanks, Jeff, for coming on the show.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. We're closer now than
0: ever before.
1: How much I like we are. Perhaps we're almost
0: brothers. There's love in our world, and we're showing it more. We think the same. You know there may be others. Our world says welcome, stranger. Everybody's a friend. We can always use a
1: friend. Favorite stories to tell.
0: Thank you very much to Jeff Stormer yeah. for his time. When I asked Jeff for the flavors for his signature cocktail, He gave me a decent paragraph, which I approve of. He says, I love a lot of booze, so it's hard to go wrong. I love tequila drinks and rum cocktails, particularly fruity ones. Mint and chocolate are flavors close to my heart. I tend towards fruitier, sweet drinks, but not sugar-sweet ones, if that makes sense. Lime, pineapple, and orange are fruit flavors I stand by. I don't like super bitter drinks, tomato cocktails, or pickles. It's come up before. And when I say I'm an eggnog enthusiast, I have the credentials to back it up. Here's the thing, Jeff. I didn't say it on the episode. I don't really like eggnog. But I am not here to yuck anybody's yum. Instead, I cracked open my usual Tiki Bibles and came up with a rum punch that I think you'll appreciate. And of course, it's called the Heifetz. In a blender, combine two ounces of gold rum, one ounce of brandy, two ounces of orange juice, one and a half ounces of lemon juice, half an ounce of orgeat syrup, which is almond syrup if you're playing at home, and a cup of crushed ice. Pulse until uniformly combined. Pour into a tall glass and garnish with a hibiscus flower. Easy, pal, you're liable to hurt yourself. Drink like you're not getting paid. Enjoy! Some say our world is getting too small So many to learn But enjoy each lesson. I say, with kindness, there's room for us all. We don't get cable in bell Plaine, but on Thursday night there's matches on TV. Get kicked out of the living room for watching. My brother and me My brother and me The Math of You is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia and is written, hosted and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown New episodes are released every second Thursday evening and if you'd like to be a guest on the show simply send an email to you at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about you can follow the show on Twitter at the Math of You, and you can follow my wacky adventures at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram. If you have a few dollars kicking around and would like to directly support the show, you can go to Patreon.com/Lokiified and pledge as little as a dollar a month, or you can pledge as much as you want. You could pledge a whole ton. Hey, Christmas is coming up. I ain't the boss of you. Patrons get bonus cocktail recipes, physical mail, and I would just really appreciate it a whole bunch. If you'd like to support non-monetarily, you can go to Apple Podcasts in the country of your choice and leave a five-star rating, so new listeners can find us. You can also write a review, and I'll read it out. Won't that be nice? If you like the music I play on the show, there's a Spotify playlist for that. Go to bit.ly slash You with capitals at the beginning of each word, to find a Spotify playlist going all the way back to episode one. That's a whole ton of music, including this song. It's Song for Sasha Banks by The Mountain Goats, and it is so good that I actually feel bad talking over it. I update the playlist as soon as the episode goes live, so make sure you subscribe and get that new music in your ears. Just before we wrap up, though, I'd like to make a quick announcement. Give me a sec, John. Now, you might have noticed that this episode was about three weeks late. For that, I apologize, and I was really excited to bring this episode with Jeff Stormer, this great guest, to you, the listener. Part of the reason for this delay is just usual life stuff. I work a full-time job, I'm a parent to a toddler, not to mention the usual schedule postponements and things like that when it comes to podcasting. That said, I'm going to be taking my end-of-year hiatus a little bit early. This will be my last episode of The Math of You for 2019. I'm going to use the time off to recharge some batteries, record with some great new guests, and come back in 2020 stronger than ever. In the meantime, though, I've been doing a bunch of guest spots on other podcasts. You would have heard me recently on the NXT Wrestling Fan, as previous guest Megan Bob mentioned on her episode. I'm going to be on an upcoming episode of I Will Fight You, talking about one of my favorite movies ever, The Cutting Edge. And eventually, I'm going to be on Jeff Stormer's podcast, Party of One. So while you won't have new Math of You episodes, you'll have lots of Lucas content in your ears. So from all of us here in Leichhardt, I wish you a safe and happy holiday and a happy new year. And I think I might put the needle back and let John take it from here. Join me, won't you? Those who would stand between me and my final destination Get torched inside the fire of my transcendence California Minnesota Massachusetts They can tell I'm coming up by the expression on my face I'm gonna make a lot of money Everyone I love is gonna have their own safe place Everybody's got Their own spot